morning, Crawford. Uh, it's so good to see all of you here this morning. My name is Jesse Holmes. I serve as the discipleship pastor. And as we are continuing in our series, understanding what it means to be a disciple, if you've been with us this semester, beginning in January, we've walked through the Beatitudes to understand the character of a disciple. Uh, we then had a message from James to further understanding the marks of a disciple. The last time I was with you in 1 John, we walked through 1 John to understand the message of a disciple. And today we'll be back in 1 John to understand about the obedience of a disciple. Our goal and intent and our purpose of these messages is so that everybody here will be on the same page understanding what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So specifically we'll be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. If you're using one of the black Bibles in front of you, we'll find it on page 1021. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we are so grateful to be able to gather together again as believers to walk through your word. Lord, this is not a task that I take lightly, and I ask that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would teach us from your word, that you will give us great understanding, not so that our knowledge increases, but our love for you will increase. And as a result, our love for those that are far from you and those that belong to you, that our love for them will increase as well. So Lord, teach us this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Salvation is a gift from God in which a person that is dead in their sin, eternally separated from God, living a life that is all about pursuing selfish gain, is granted the faith to repent of their sin and trust in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. And that is a huge word, substitutionary atonement, is the idea that Jesus took our place in dealing with the wrath of God. This gift of salvation is a work of God through the work of Jesus on the cross and is not dependent upon the work of man meaning that we cannot do things to earn our own salvation. It is truly a gift. The work of salvation, however, does not end there. It does not end with us being transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. But God, by his grace, is continuously at work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, conforming us, transforming us into the likeness of his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the process of sanctification. And the process of sanctification bears fruit, or there's visible evidence that God is at work in men and women. This is the truth of the gospel. In our text today, the Apostle John is transitioning from exposing the false teachers based on what they have said to exposing the false teachers based on how they live. 
And if you remember from our last time in 1 John, uh, many scholars believe it's the Gnostics. It's, it's a cult, cultish group that has come in and are spreading lies about what it means to follow Jesus. And so John, as an apostle, as a pastor, as a teacher, is trying to guard the hearts and the minds of the believers in this church and protect them from the influence of false teachers. And so what he does in our previous text, when we looked at 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, what he does is he exposes their lies. They kept saying things that were just not true. He says, if you hear this, don't follow them. If they say this to you, don't follow them. If you overhear them saying this, don't follow them. But in our text today, we see that there's more to it. There's more that John is trying to expose about the false teachers in order to protect the church. Now, this issue of false teachers have not gone away. Uh, There are still false teachers out there today on YouTube, on television, knocking on your door, might be on your jobs. There are those that might profess to have knowledge of the true and living God, and yet what they teach and what they communicate does not line up with the very words of God. And so we find ourselves asking the question, well, how do we discern? As believers in this world, as we're listening to people speak to us all the time through so many modes of communication and so many forms of media, how do we discern the truth from a lie? How do we guard our churches from false teachers? How do we protect our children and our homes from lies from the enemy? Well, John is going to answer that question today in our text. And he's going to tell us some things that will not only help us identify false teachers, but will hopefully help us to examine our own lives. Now, the danger in the lesson today, I want to make sure you understand this, it will be very easy to listen to this message and think, oh man, there's more things I need to do. All right, let me bust out my to-do list and add this checkbox and this checkbox because it's all about behavior modification. But that is also a false gospel. What we are talking about today as we impress upon you the importance of obedience, we are not saying that obedience leads to salvation because we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and it is a gift. But what we will understand is that our obedience as disciples communicates something that is going on inside. And so our text this morning, we'll find and learn three truths about the obedience of a disciple And in the end, we'll conclude with a question. Today, we'll look at three truths about the obedience of a disciple and conclude with a question. So first, the obedience of a disciple affirms genuine conversion. The obedience of a disciple affirms genuine conversion. Let's look at verses 3 through 4 again. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So John, at the very beginning, he says, and by this we know. So this phrase right here is communicating to us that John is trying to give us a test. Uh, Not just a test for us to take, but a test to examine people, teachers, other people that are coming to us professing something. 
And so he says, and by this we know. So he is communicating what I'm about to explain coming up. Everything that I'm about to say next is serving as a test or a way to examine those that are speaking into your life. And so, John, what is this test? Well, he says this. The test is to reveal if they know him. He says, for, for moving on in verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him. The RSV version of the Bible translates it, by this we may be sure that we know him. So how do we test the genuineness of conversion or the genuineness of someone's faith that is speaking into our lives? And as a quick side note, we're not trying to equip ourselves, like I said last time, to be able to say, oh, you're a Christian, you're a Christian, you're definitely not a Christian. Oh, no, not even, you need to stop trying. Oh, yeah, you guys are Christians. That's not what we're trying to do in this. But with these tests, we are trying to help guard our own hearts our families, and the church from false teachers and false teaching, false doctrine entering in. And so many people will say, oh, well, you can't judge me. Oh, no, you can't judge other people. Well, you need to read the Bible because that's not necessarily true. No, we are not called to sit on the throne of God and point fingers of condemnation, but we are called to be wise and to be very careful about what we're listening to and what we're watching, and what we're allowing to speak into our hearts and into our homes. And so, John is giving them a test to discern, to discern, okay, is this person that is speaking in, are they legit or not? And so, what's the evidence of someone's faith? What's the evidence of someone's commitment? What's the evidence of someone's belief? It's obedience to Jesus' commands. This is what he says, furthermore, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Our obedience to Jesus' commands is evidence of a heart that has been transformed by Jesus. The obedience to Jesus' commands is evidence that something that Jesus Christ has done something within us. Now, see, the warning here would be to confuse, uh, confuse following and being obedient to Jesus' commands with being nice and being kind, giving people high fives and hugs, being loving. And we live in a world to where that is what the world does. It boils Jesus down all the way to, oh, you just got to love people. That's it. Well, how do you love people? What does it look like to love people like Jesus? And that is where you're going to see, is this person Uh, the chief authority of their life? Are they determining what it looks like to love and follow Jesus? Or are they allowing Jesus to speak into that himself? What does Jesus say as he's asked the question about the greatest commands? What are the greatest commandments in which the law and the prophets depend? To love the Lord your God with your all and to love your neighbor as yourself. But how do we truly love God? Well, that's where John 14 comes in. We keep his commandments. Our obedience to his commandments communicates the transformation that's taking place in our hearts. True obedience to Jesus' commandments are only possible through a heart that has been changed by him. Because the reality is, the world is filled with many people that do nice and kind and cool things. But the only way that you can love your enemy is if Jesus helps you do that. The only way that you can sacrifice the things that you love for the benefit of others 
if Jesus is the one that's changing your heart to do that. The only way that you can abandon the comforts of your home to go overseas to reach a people that don't know him is if Jesus has done something on the inside of you. And that's way deeper than uh, buying someone lunch. That's way deeper than taking someone out for coffee or giving them a kind word. That is conforming your life, that is modding your life after Jesus. Now, what John continues to do, he wants to support his positive statement or this positive command with a negative example. And we saw this in our last chapter. He did this before. He says, this is what you need to do, and if you don't do this. So continuing on in verse 4, whoever says, I know him, or I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I love God, hey, listen to me, but does not keep his commandments, or habitually disregards the words of Jesus, like they see what Jesus says, and they're like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, oh, that sounds good, but I'm not doing that. So whoever says that I'm a believer and I'm a Christian, but the pattern of their life models that they do not regard what Jesus says, they're a liar, and the truth is not in them. What a strong word to say, right? John is saying they are a liar. They are intentionally trying to deceive. They are fooling you. They are wanting to lead you astray. So if this person who is saying that I am a Christian, follow me, listen to me, but when they look at Jesus' commands, they're they're easily throwing things out or saying that doesn't apply to me, don't listen to them. Please don't listen to them. They are a liar, and the truth is not in them at all. And so the reality is, it's not just about what we say with our mouths and with our words, but it's about the actions that come out of a heart, which that should sound familiar, right? Uh, Don Pizzotta, one of our elders, preached from James, and one of the verses that he hit on was, do not be a doer, do not be a hearer of the word only, but to be a doer. Because if you don't, you're deceiving yourself. You're not fooling God by hearing stuff and doing something different, you're really just deceiving yourself because God knows your heart. Now, please note, twice we have seen in these verses that the focus, the aim, the object of our obedience is on what? Jesus' commands. Now, I know this sounds duh, right? Like, okay, duh, like we are to keep Jesus' commands. But do you know how often someone decides what they do and what they do not do solely based on their feelings? and their emotions, and their heart, and what mom said, and what dad said, and grandma said, or tradition says. But what is the test? What is the test of genuine conversion, that someone is truly a believer, that they're not concerned about what their heart says? They're not concerned about where their emotions lead them, but they are solely fixated on Jesus's commands not their heart, because our hearts are so deceptive. And it's not our feelings and emotions, because sometimes you feel like something's good or something's great, and then you realize, oh, that was a bad idea. Like, maybe you haven't gone running for a few months or six months. You're like, man, I'm about to go run three miles. It feels like a good day to run three miles. 
and probably like two minutes into it, this was a bad idea. My feelings are not helping me keep going. My feelings are not helping me to persevere and keep going on. And so our heart and our feelings and our emotions and even what we hear out there in the world can be deceptive. And so we go to Jesus' commands. Well, where are Jesus' commands? Like, where do we find them? It's not in what I say, our pastors, or our parents say, but it's in the Word of God. Now, please understand this. I'm not saying that we ignore our pastors or we ignore our leaders and our preachers and teachers, but God's Word is the chief authority of our lives. And so if a mom or dad or grandparent or pastor or teacher or leader says something contrary to this right here, then we do not listen to them. And then that also means that if my feelings and my emotions and my desires cause me to walk out of step with this right here, then I need to lay my emotions and my heart and my desire aside and submit my life, therefore, to the commands of Jesus Christ our Lord. And the reality is, it is very difficult. Jesus is going to say some things that you don't want to hear. Jesus is going to look inside your heart, and he's going to tell you, you need to get that out. This does not belong. You need to stop doing this. And our natural inclination is to buck against that and to fight it and to come up with excuses and ways to cling to the sin that we love so much. But if God's word of his commands are the sole authority over your life, then you will not make him submit to you, but you will submit to him even when it hurts. If you are resistant to following Jesus' commands consistently, habitually, then may I suggest that you might not be following him. You might just be following yourself. You might just be submitting to your own lordship and not to the lordship of Christ. Next, John continues on. He says that the obedience of a disciple not only affirms genuine conversion, but it does something on the inside of a disciple. The obedience of a disciple perfects God's love. The obedience of a disciple perfects God's love, specifically in us. This is found in the first part of verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Uh, If you will, like underline uh, in him. Uh, in verse 5, or put an asterisk or write it down on a piece of paper. We're going to be coming back to that phrase, in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So this is what John is saying. He says, in him truly. So in him, in, in that person, in us, truly, surely, for show, like certainly, this is what is true, the love of God. The love of God is in them. And there are so many different understandings of what John is trying to get at. There's two specifically, and one that I will point out. By the love of God, he's saying the love for God. In him, in in that person that is a disciple, in that person that is saying that they are a Christian, in them there is a love for God. If they, are, if they have experienced genuine conversion, they're truly a believer. In them, they have a love for God. 
But there's something interesting about this love of God, that as we walk in obedience, as we keep his commandments, the love of God that's in us is perfected or is brought to completion or is accomplishing what it was intended to do. And so John is saying this, that our obedience to Jesus's commands, to the Lord's commands, as we read and as we study and as we obey, we're saying, God, I love you. As we allow him to cut us to the heart and we then conform our lives to the image of Jesus, we're saying, God, I love you. When we uh, pluck out our eye or cut off our hand that we might not sin in obedience to Jesus' commands, we're saying, God, I love you. When we go and talk to that person that we don't like and we express the love of Jesus to them, we're saying, God, I love you. It's the actions of our hands and of our mouths and of our feet that are communicating, John is pointing out, is communicating true love to God. And so loving God is not just about enjoying his blessings with a smile. It's not about singing it or saying it or praying it. But as we walk in obedience to his commands, we're then communicating that we love them. You might have been in a situation where mom or dad said, hey, I need you to clean up your room. Um, so, yeah, just try to get it cleaned by the end of the day or by tomorrow. If tomorrow comes and the room is not clean and you say, mom, dad, I love you so much. Like, I'm just so in love with you. And they look inside the room and there's still clothes everywhere. Maybe there's some food. Maybe there's some trash. There's books. Do you really love them? And you, you might say it with your words, oh, mom, dad, I love you so, so much. But our disobedience communicates something differently. It does not communicate love. It might, to an extreme, communicate hate or dislike. Or can I, can I explain it this way? It communicates that you don't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me, so I'm going to do what I want to do. That doesn't communicate love for that parent at all. It communicates the opposite. It communicates distrust. And so as John is unpacking this and he is explaining that the obedience of disciple perfects God's love, he is saying that as we walk in obedience, that what we are doing is we're allowing our love for God to reach completion, to do the thing that we want it to do. It is properly communicating to God that we love him. Warning, if you say that you love God, if you sing that you love God, if you pray and tell other people that you love God, but you habitually, consistently, or have a pattern of disobedience, I'm sorry to say, but you might not love God. This might be an indication that you love yourself more. And so John is saying some hard words, but the reality is that there is a correlation between God's love or love for God and obedience. And the Apostle Paul actually brings this up again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us or orders our life because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died 
and was raised. This is truly what it means to love God. Obedience to him to the point to where we are no longer living for ourselves. We're not thinking about selfish gain or what we will lose or what we will gain. We're solely thinking about loving him with the way that we live. And so we have seen so far in these verses that the obedience of a disciple affirms genuine conversion. That obedience of a disciple, it perfects God's love in us. So our love for God is perfected. And finally, the obedience of a disciple influences their lifestyle. The obedience of a disciple influences their lifestyle. And so very briefly, what, what, uh, what I'm trying to communicate is there is no way that you can say I'm an obedient disciple and yet nothing in your life changes. That, that makes no sense. It's impossible. According to the gospel that communicates to us that we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world. So if that was the state of our life before, and if it looks the same afterwards, then there has not truly been a genuine conversion. And so obedience of a disciple influences their lifestyle. This is what John says. Again, he brings up, by this we know that we are in him. Now let's go ahead and underline or put an asterisk or a star or write down and note in him comes up again. By this we know that we are in him. So this is pointing back to how we began this section in verse 3 evidence of salvation. The gospel describes our relationship to Jesus after salvation with two words. Oftentimes, you find this in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. You find it here in this text, within him. The reality is that one who is saved, when we trust in Jesus, when we repent of our sins and place our faith in him, we're not just becoming best friends with God. He's not just becoming our father. Jesus is not just becoming our brother. But what the scriptures describe is that there is now a union between us and Jesus Christ, which is why it says over and over again that we are in him. And this is like next level stuff, right? This next level thing about salvation is communicating that we are now in him. So his home becomes our home. His inheritance becomes our inheritance. His righteousness becomes our righteousness because we are found in him. We are now united with Christ, which is why we should take sin so seriously, right? Uh, In 1 Corinthians, we get in chapter 6, Paul reminds the church, he tells them, you need to glorify God in your body. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? that there has now been a union in your salvation. You're not just hanging out over here by yourself and God is just up high looking low, but you have been united with Christ. And Paul says again in Romans chapter 6 as he's talking about baptism. Romans chapter 6, he describes that we have been buried with Christ. We have been raised to new life, to walk in newness of life in him. And so salvation communicates a union with Jesus Christ. So by this we know that we are in him, that we are united with him. Verse 6, 
Whoever says he abides in him. I would underline and note that again. You see this emphasis? John is trying to communicate over and over again. Hey guys, I'm talking to you about salvation right now. Hey, I want you to understand about genuine conversion right now. I want you to understand what it truly means to be a Christian and to be a disciple right now. It's all about abiding in him and him abiding in you. So whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Ought to walk in the same way in which he, being Jesus, walked. This communicates two things. It communicates, first of all, that there, is a dif- there should be a difference in our lifestyle. That if we are walking, if we are purposely and intentionally walking in the same way that Jesus walked, then that means that there is something about the way that we live that does not resemble sinful man, but resembles, uh, resembles a holy and righteous Jesus. Now, side note, we understand this is a process, right? Like, you don't, be, you don't get saved, repent, and believe, and then all of a sudden, you're just speaking in King James, like quoting verses, like right off the top of your head, like staying away from sinful stuff. That, it's a process. It's a process. As you grow in the process of sanctification, as you read the Word and allow the Word to convict your heart and you obey the commands, your life should begin conforming into the image of Christ Jesus. And so those old patterns of living, they go away. It takes time, but they should go away. So as John says, as he's talking about our lifestyle change, he first of all points out that there should be a difference. So if our walk and pattern of life should match up with Jesus, there should be a difference. But then the second implication is simply this, that if we ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, it doesn't happen by random happenstance. You don't just wake up in the morning and start walking like Jesus. You just don't go to work that day and start talking like Jesus. But it requires intentionality. intentionality. It, in, it requires purposeful actions. It requires spending time in the Word to look and behold Jesus every single day and asking the Holy Spirit to help us to walk in that same way. It's not sitting back and just hoping that things will change. All right, I was dumped in the water. I get to have communion now. I'm just going to sit back and wait for Jesus to change me. One of these days now, things are going to start different, being different. I'm not going to say mean things anymore. I'm not going to think hurtful things anymore. I'm just waiting for the Holy Spirit to do this all by himself. And the reality is we can't be conformed into the image of Jesus apart from the work of the Holy Spirit but maybe you're hindering the work of the Holy Spirit by not spending time in the Word. And maybe you're hindering this process of sanctification by having a lackadaisical or a uh, apathetic understanding of your salvation. And so understand, uh, we're not working to be saved. But in this process of sanctification, you're either helping it along or you're hindering it. And if you isolate yourself if you neglect the Word of God, if you neglect gathering together with other believers, if you neglect listening to music that proclaims the truth of Jesus, 
if you neglect guarding your eyes from things that deter you from Jesus, if you live a life of neglect, you will not grow. You will not. And scary, it might be an indication that you are not genuinely converted. Understand, these are tests that John is giving. He's giving tests that we might understand what it looks like to walk in obedience and to truly be a disciple. And so our lifestyle change is one that our life now looks like Jesus and different than our life looked before, but it's one of intentionality. Uh, my last visit to Utah, uh, I got to go to, I call him my nephew, he calls me uh, Uncle Jesse, uh, Isaiah's baseball games. He's 10 years old at the time, uh, plays baseball super well, and as a way to interact with non-believers, uh, Ben, my friend, coached the baseball team. Isaiah is good. I mean, he is amazing as a 10-year-old, but unfortunately, the result of him being so good led to pridefulness. Uh, he would make comments all the time, putting down other team members or just thinking that he should be in the game the whole time. In the particular game that I watched, um, his dad pulled him out because they were demolishing the other team. Like, I mean, they were just far above them. So dad pulled him out so that other students might get an opportunity to play. Isaiah was not happy. He was very, very angry to the point of disobedience. And so his mom had a conversation with him, and I was able to be there with the conversation. She said, uh, Isaiah, this is not the behavior of Jesus Christ. And his response was, well, I'm not Jesus. Well, I was really impressed with his mom um, that she let that go for the time being, and I just kind of took note to that. So later on that night, Isaiah was helping me pack. I said, man, I want to talk to you for a second. Uh, I found it very interesting that when your mom was trying to correct you and help you walk in obedience to Jesus' commands, you kind of was disrespectful. I said, not only that, I want to point this out to you. Ten-year-old, he listened, he under, hopefully he understood. I said, no, you are not Jesus, but if you are professing Jesus Christ as Lord, you are saying that your aim is to be like Jesus. And so when someone corrects your attitude or your behavior and they say that this is not Christ-like, if you respond consistently, well, I'm not Jesus, then you are excusing your sin. I said, young man, that's not the life that we live. That's not how we are to be, and you need to repent. And so to my own heart and to all of us, may we not excuse sinfulness. May we not excuse not looking and talking and acting like Jesus. Please don't ever say, well, I'm not Jesus. Oh, or, oh, well, I'm only human. You understand salvation and the fact that you are now united with him and that you are to be abiding in him. And so the reality is when we start to walk out of step, we should be Johnny on the spot saying, okay, I need to walk back in step. I mean, when someone corrects our attitude and our behavior and the things that we say, if we buck against them, we are bucking against the Lord. Or, or we're saying, Lord, don't tell me what to do. I reject your commands. I reject what you would have me to do. And as a side note, the, the notion that boys will be boys and girls will be girls, excusing behavior, if they're a believer, can we throw that in the trash? If you're old enough to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, then you're old enough to be held accountable to the commands of Jesus. And that continues on for the rest of your life. And so what we want to do is we want to encourage obedience to Jesus Christ, 
not only in rebuke and correction, but also in how we model our lives. And as young men and older men and young women and older women and parents and grandparents and mentors, we want to model obedience to Jesus Christ at all times, no matter what. So we don't want to use our humanity as an excuse to disobey. And so our final question We've understood that the obedience of a disciple, it affirms genuine conversion. The obedience of a disciple, it perfects God's love that resides in us. The obedience of a disciple, what it does is it, it changes our lifestyle, that there's, uh, it influences our lifestyle. And so here's the question, how do we obey? How do we keep Jesus' commands? I just kept talking about over and over again to keep his commands, to obey his commands, to keep his commands and obey his commands. Well, how do we do that? Well, one of my favorite songs, All I Have is Christ, has this verse in it. Now the Lord, now Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. The reality is, we can only obey with His help. We can only obey with His help. The strength to follow His commands, the strength to keep His commandments, the strength and the will and the power to walk in obedience can only come from Him who has called us to obey. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit dwells within us that God has given us his word to help us to obey. And so it's not a pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's not a, okay, I need to make more lists, or I need to get more accountability partners, or I need to set more alarms, or I need to change all of these things. May we live a life that communicates soul dependence on him. Do you live that kind of life? That as people hear the words that come out of your mouth, as they see your restraint and self-control, they should be scratching their heads because they're like, how are you able to do this? This is crazy. This is insane. How are you living a life like this? And in those moments, we don't point to ourselves. We don't pat ourselves on the back. We don't boast in our restraint or our self-control. We boast in Christ Jesus. Because the only way to live this life that honors him is with his help. This is what it looks like to be a disciple that obeys. This is what it looks like to be a Christian that lives in a dying world. These are the expectations of Jesus Christ for those that follow him. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the gift of salvation that we have not earned by the work of our hands, but it's been a gift from you. And Lord, we're so grateful that you have not left us alone. You didn't abandon us, but you gave us your word and the Holy Spirit that dwells in us to help us to walk in obedience to your commands. So Father, right now, we confess our need of you. Lord, there are so many areas in our lives that you are aware of that we are still walking in darkness that we're still clinging on to and not giving up. Will you help us? Will you help us to trust that you know better than us and that you have our uh, intentions, our good intentions in mind? 
And will you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to take that trust and transform that into obedience to your commands? We need you, Lord. May you be honored and glorified in how we live our lives, and will you help us to walk in obedience? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.